Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Monthly Wrap. My name is Dave Wright and once again I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you going? Really good, thank you. How are you today? I'm good, mate. I'm good. We're a little bit overdue this month for the wrap, but we're going to cover off the uh, content we produced in April and uh, shoot some summaries out there in the form of sound bites and written content. So what we're going to look at is a couple of masterclass discussions which we produced. Uh, we had three new blogs in April, so it was a busy month on the written front, a research review from Professor Bill Harper, and a session plan which I know you designed. So it was a really busy month. And uh, first up, we're going to start with a recap of our masterclass webinar which featured an insight into Watford FC with Rob Morris and Martin Prickett. So here's the clip. But I think, I mean, the the best example I've got is from a goalkeeper called Jonathan Bonds. Now, Bondy was um, back at Watford. This is going back probably a good uh, 2004, 2005. Bondy is a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, uh, was an excellent goalkeeper, technically very good, could move around and then grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and got stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. Uh, and... All throughout his YDP phase, it was like having um, a lollipop stick man in goal because <laughs> he just could not bend or move or anything. Um, and just there were two parts to it, really, three, uh, three parts to it. One, we just kept going with him and we just kept working him on all the things we would normally do to try and help him and retrain his movements. The sports science team uh, were excellent and they just had a whole set of movement patterns that they made him uh, do pre training, post training. Uh, and at home. The physios were, were brilliant because they were able to try and stretch the life out try and actually get <laughs> into, into his muscles. But also probably the most important was the psychological support he received mm. was that, you know, I remember we played Arsenal one Sunday morning and a kid had a shot and it was like watching just in pure horrid slow motion this ball dribble towards the post and poor Bondi just not been able to move his bodies or limbs fast enough to get over there and actually to, to get down to it. But over then, and this would be a course of probably five years this program went on for. Then when he got to 17, um, he then all of a sudden had finished his unbelievable growth spurt, was six foot eight, and then had the, had the potential to become quite a good goalkeeper. All he had to do then throughout his scholarship years was, was learn how to catch the ball again to finally <laughs> move. Uh, and then in the end, Bondy made first team and he played at Reading, he's played for Colchester, he played for England under 21. So he's he's had a career out of it. He's still at Colchester now, I think. Oh no, do you think now he is? So he's had a career out of it. But I think the other thing is that what a lot of coaches might look at and go, well, you know, we've, we've done something with him from a sports science perspective in terms of an agility program. And three weeks later, he's no more agile. Mm. And he, well, of course he isn't. This, this mm. takes years to get right and, the, and and it's just how slow it takes i think is what a lot of coaches miss is it just does take a long time and although you may never see the benefits of what you're doing you still have to do it because the mm. benefits will be there but you you know you might not see the benefits until the the, the motor neuron pathways are completed 
back when they're 17, 18. So again, time and understanding is a big thing, but we're going back to your original question. Yes, the, to be able to collaborate and use those players and for injury prevention and all those kind of things, it, it just comes down again, as you said, to what the individual needs. Um, they all need the same messages, you know, look after your body, think well, stay determined. They all need the same messages, but then we need to know our players and then know how best to support those players. So Dan, a really insightful sort of story or an anecdote there on long-term player development from Martin. What were the key takeaways from the clip and I guess the conversation in general? Yes, yeah, so this was a really sort of uh, detailed conversation, wasn't it? It was quite a long one. I, I think this clip is is showing how you know Martin's talking about what, what you're doing today and how you're helping the player today. It might not pay off for sort of four or five years. He, he talked about a player that was going through a growth spurt and, and struggling with coordination and they'd done all this work with the physios and he wasn't seeing an, an immediate um, reaction. Mm. Um, and the physios and maybe the S&C team getting a little bit frustrated or saying, you know, we're doing all this work, but we're not seeing anything. And then Martin was saying, yeah, well, of course you won't. You know, it takes years and years. And I think, you know, that sort of long, long-term sort of uh, thinking in the short term, I suppose, isn't it? It's, it's about uh, what plans are we putting in place and how patient are we to see uh, what this this young player will look like and and as martin said this is now a guy playing professional football um, but it was a really good chat and, and these are two guys working at the coalface working in academy full-time so lots of kind of stories and, and similar messages to, to the ones we promote the, the pdp i guess um what were your takeaways from this one yeah i think the long-term vision when it comes to the clip i mean just that patience and understanding that players are going to have dips and players are going to have times where they're really flying and you know, I can think of a group I'm working with at the moment, and we've got such a mix of sizes. We've got kids who are in that sort of under 15 bracket who are absolutely tiny, and we've got some others who are well advanced physically. <clears throat> so I think that sort of patience and that long-term view really stood out. But as you say, a really insightful conversation from an academy that's been producing players for a long time. So some really good insight from both of them. Yeah, really good. Okay, so the, the next masterclass was from uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Vaughan, um, and this was part three of his uh, kind of study of FC Barcelona. So this one looked at legends and icons. Um, I know you hosted this chat with Jimmy, so uh, what were kind of your thoughts before we dive into the clip? Look, I think this is a really, really good conversation. And it's, it's, I guess, an in-depth look at Jimmy's research with a particular focus in this discussion around some of the really big individual cultural influences and some of those people who have affected uh, the playing style over the years at Barcelona. Cool, let's get into it now then. Okay, so what we can see there is this idea that the role models for FC Barcelona a lot of the time have been foreigners. So people that are, have come in um, and as they say in the video, have um, understood the culture, contributed to it, but then also been able to kind of innovate in and around it as well. Um, so I think it... it this idea moves like the recognition um, or, or creates the recognition that we're not just talking about um, culture being a fixed thing. It's a dynamic that is influenced by the people in it and the people that come into it as well. Um, so being an open culture and being a culture that has accepted diversity and accepted refugees and accepted people coming in for years and years it has been influenced by those foreigners. And for FC Barcelona, those key ones are Jean Gamper, the founder, um, Kubala, who we just saw in the video, he's a Hungarian refugee, um, and then obviously Johan Cruyff, who we'll talk about as well. 
Um, and then in the more modern um, examples could be people like Ronaldinho and of course Messi today. So Dan, a nice short clip there from uh, Jimmy's PhD and the latest instalment of that series. What were some of your key takeaways in that clip? Yeah, I think in this clip, Jimmy's talking about the foreign influence in uh, Barcelona. So I was actually at Barcelona's game at the weekend for, for Iniesta's last match. And, and to see some of this kind of cultural influence is, is really interesting. So it's obviously a club that's steeped in history and, you know, obviously one of the most successful clubs of all time. But they've always had a foreign influence. So set up by Gampa and they've always had sort of kind of immigrants in the team. And that's come all the way through to, you know, the, the influence of Cruyff on and off the pitch. And then players like Messi and Ronaldinho. Um, and Neymar and Eto and all these kind of players. So I think Jimmy's done a really good job of kind of bringing that all together and, and making it understandable. Mm. How about for you? Yeah, look, I think throughout the series, and obviously I've been lucky enough to interview Jim through each step of it, we've sort of talked initially from the broader cultural um, climate and the history of Barcelona from the farming roots right through to um, the sort of space and the creation of architecture and how that's reflected on the pitch. And it can be seen in the style of play. And now with this discussion, it was about diving into some of those individuals and real influences around the club. So some great insight. And as you said earlier, it's a fascinating cultural case study in football and one that everybody around the world looks to in terms of understanding um, how to develop players and, and obviously what success looks like in terms of playing style and, and being true to a philosophy. So a really interesting discussion. Next, we're going to head towards our latest research review from Professor William Harper, and Bill has put together a research review on creativity. Dan, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think this is interesting because um, creativity is a word that a lot of sports coaches are using. I think, you know, we want creative players, we want problem solvers, but what does that actually mean? But probably more importantly, how do we foster, foster that environment to encourage creative, creativity and creative play? Um, so that was kind of my takeaway of what creativity is and how we build that environment or develop that environment for it to happen more more frequently. Mm. Uh, how about for you? Yeah, I think it's just about those definitions. I think that depending on whatever sport you're involved in, there's certain creative moments that are obvious. But what does creativity actually mean and how do we coach it? It's a really nice little review in terms of understanding a great paper. Um, so recommend our listeners and viewers get over and have a look at that one. We've certainly, uh, as we said, had a busy month in the content front. And Dan, you put together our last session plan uh, for last month in April, and it was a four-goal game. Do you want to explain a little bit about that uh, session and, and where it may be relevant, age and stage, etc.? Yeah, I think it's quite adaptable in terms of numbers and age and stage. Obviously, you'd have to adapt the, the space and the end zones to suit your players. But, but basically, the practice was looking at players getting on kind of that half turn and opening up to play forwards. And then that weight of pass to find your mate in the end zone. So it's sort of forward passes and forward running. So quite a simple session that could be could be used with players in that foundation phase, or you could make it a little bit more complex with offside lines and stuff like that for, for YDP players and beyond. So um, something that I've used quite frequently with the guys I coach and, and something that's quite enjoyable, I think. Mm, yeah, certainly a session I'll be having a look at and uh, trying to adapt for myself at some stage, mate. Great work. Mm. Yeah, so um, where are we going next? We're going to the blogs next. I think that, that uh, yeah, the most uh, successful blog, there's kind of two arguments, I suppose, this, this month. Um, <laughs> between you and Jimmy, um, fighting out for the, the number one spot on the PDP website. But your, uh, your blog was around uh, the, the Aussie kind of ball tampering, which uh, you, know, you, you took a lot of time to write on. 
Yeah, look, I think it's a, it's been really interesting. Obviously, I've made the transition personally from England to Australia recently, and it's been really, really fascinating to see the cultural differences in sport and, and how things are progressing in the UK and perhaps how things at times are struggling in Australian sport. And I think the ball tampering scandal really resonated with me in the sense that it was something that just blew up massively in the media here and for me was an absolute uh, reflection on the style of play that the Australian cricket team had been playing with for so long. So as a Kiwi, it was a team that obviously there's always been a rivalry between New Zealand and Australia and uh, it's one of those things where you know you sort of love to hate the Australian cricket team. They're always so good, they're always so talented, but in this case, the last few years, they haven't exactly covered themselves in pride. So I was sort of motivated to write about this from a, a perspective that the behavior that was happening on the pitch was potentially representing and reflecting the culture that's happening in youth development where there is a huge focus here still on winning as the key metric. Um, so you could almost have sympathy as, as hard as it is with somebody like a Steve Smith or a Dave Warner and say maybe that's the only environment or the only way they've ever known and there's never been another consequence. So it was something I was very passionate about and it's why I wrote about it and subsequently I was lucky enough to be invited by uh, Cricket Australia to go and spend a day with their under 16s and, and look at uh, their talent pathways and some of the really good things they're doing and some of the things they're looking to change. So it's been a really interesting topic down under and I guess globally as well it certainly caught the headlines. Yeah, kind of an iconic moment of um, winning at all costs, I think, isn't and, it? Like, yeah. if, that, if that's the message we're, we're, we're sending out, but also the message we're sending to kids that, that winning is more important than, than anything. That was, that's, I mean, I'm not a big cricket fan, but that was the message that I took away. Yeah, and certainly, you know, I think what came to a head is that there was a cost. There was a cost financially, personally, to reputations, to the sport in this country. It really did damage the brand of Australian cricket, and it's been fascinating to see it unfold. And I'm also really excited to see the redemption stories that will soon follow. It's going to be very interesting to see. The next blog we had was from John O'Sullivan over there in the States at Changing the Game Project. And uh, John shared an article around, you know, when is youth sports actually going to serve the needs of young people? So, Dan, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this was a really good read. And I, I think for me, it was about um, what is the purpose of sport. So I think at the, uh, the pointy end, as you would say, it's about performance. It's about elite, whatever that means. It's about preparing players you know to, to have a career in sport to become a professional but that's just a really really small percentage of sport yeah. and I think in this article John's talking about um, participation he's talking about you know the, the benefits um, socially and physically of, of playing sport um, and and for a lot of the time that the sport is viewed by adults for you know with that adult lens and, and is it actually going to be kind of reshaped for what the kids want and what the kids need and if we do more of that perhaps that participation will go up and then maybe the the, the spin-off of that is that we'll have more pros and, and more kind of elite players so um a really good read i really enjoyed that one yeah certainly and i think just the key points around sport as you know beneficial to the community and and you know, sport for social good is so important that, and I know dropouts has been a real issue in American sport across the board, and there's a battle to keep players interested, and whether that's society changing in general, or whether that's a US-specific issue, that's sort of up for debate, but it certainly was an article that really brings home the key purposes of why we play, and that is that is the operative word. Um, the last blog we had was from our lead researcher, Jimmy Vaughan, as you mentioned earlier, and it was a fantastic article, uh, including some practical video, um, also went and sought feedback. I know he's had feedback online from Rick Shuttleworth and within the article had feedback from both of us and more importantly, probably Mark Upton, who is excellent uh, with his feedback around this. So what were your takeaways from this type of content that Jimmy's produced? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think this is the, the way forward, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of articles and, and research and uh, <laughs> debates on Twitter and Facebook about, you know, the, the, the academic stuff versus the practical stuff. And what Jimmy did was a, a really good job of fusing those together. Um, so there's, there's video examples of what a constraint-led approach looks like and then different opinions from Jimmy and, and the people that, that watch the videos about what we're actually seeing and that kind of change in behavior. So Jimmy uh, will talk a lot about the interactions between players, the interactions between the constraints. And I think what we saw was that live. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, Jim, Jimmy put a lot of work into this and, and I really enjoyed uh, kind of watching and, and reading this. Uh, and, and again, a really popular blog um, that, that I think a lot of people uh, had a look at. Yeah, and I think the nature of the session being a 3v3 with a very simple task um, of trying to break lines or screen if you're on the, the outer possession team, it was a nice way to look at it. And of course, Jimmy also went and sought feedback from uh, you know Professor Keith Davids, which was very interesting to have his thoughts as well. So highly recommend that our listeners and viewers go over there and uh, check out that blog. It was a fantastic read. Any final thoughts on this month's wrap for you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're doing now is kind of covering all the bases. So we've talked about the research reviews, which is very kind of down the academic end. Mm. We've got uh, guys talking about participation sport. We've got Jimmy kind of fusing those two things together. We've got uh, yourself talking about different sports. So it, it's it's kind of getting to a more kind of holistic place, isn't it? And mm. so lots lots to read, lots to, to see and do on the website. Certainly. And uh, for those who are listening who haven't joined, head over to playdevelopmentproject.com. Sign up for your membership and you will get access to all of our extensive content, which is an enormous library of video and written resource. Dan, thanks again for your time. Great to have you on board. No, no worries, mate. See you soon. We'll look forward to another Player Development Project monthly wrap very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.